fan. tuning in and you're used to hearing a little bit smoother, slower jams to start the day, get your Saturday morning off, you're probably a little bit surprised, but hopefully you got avid listeners of this station who know exactly what that song means. That's Mark Morrison, Return of the Mac. I am John Krasinski from The Athletic, and that's the, uh, the music that bumps me in on Saturdays with Sauce. I will be on with him a little bit later as well, but I am sitting in for Dave Sinekin here on In The Zone, sitting here with one of my favorite people to talk hoops with, Trent Tucker. And it's a beautiful Saturday morning. Sun is shining, birds are chirping. Double T, how you doing, man? Johnny Athletic, I'm doing very good. How about you? Good, good. I'm looking forward to this. It's been a while since we've shared a studio together. Yeah, and, it's been a while. And, um, and so I always like to take these chances to kind of you know, run my hoops theories by you, catch up on some things. And, and I know that you and Cindy talk about a lot of the the subjects that we will get into today, but it's always good to just kind of get another voice and, and get in here. I don't know where Cindy is uh, this weekend, but hopefully he's uh, enjoying himself. But we will talk today over the next couple hours. We'll talk Wolves. We'll talk Ben Simmons. We'll talk NBA playoffs. Maybe a little Space Jam if you have any Michael Jordan Space Jam <laughs> stories. Double T. Um, and so I'm looking forward to this. It should be a should be a really good time. But um, it has been a while. Just how you been, Double T? What's going on with uh, you know? What are you seeing in the basketball world? What What do you think uh, right now as we're getting uh, going on this fine Saturday morning? You know, things have been really good. Been busy. Mm-hmm. You know, anytime you you have kids playing sports, you know, they keep you busy seven <laughs> days a week. And yeah. uh, but that's a fun thing as well. Mm-hmm. But you know, the NBA basketball, along with you know watching the the National Hockey League playoffs as well. You know. They were fun to watch, you know. You saw the play, saw the players playing at the highest level, and now we have, we're coming down to what the best two out of three between the Suns and the Bucks, and and all the games have been pretty entertaining. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the Suns did what they had to do in the first two games by winning the two games on their home floor. Now Milwaukee was able to bounce back, and everyone talking about, you know, are the Suns in trouble? But going into this matchup, the Phoenix Suns did not have to win a game on the road. Mm-hmm. All they all they need to do is win four games on their home floor, and they are the NBA champions. And for the Milwaukee Bucks, they knew going into this matchup that at some point in time they have, they had to protect home court and find a way to win a game on the road. So 
as we go into game number five, you know, the, the Phoenix Suns, they, you know, they still feel okay about themselves. Well, we know that uh, our guy Dave Sinekin is feeling better because yeah, he's sure. a Bucks guy. And, and you can have all the confidence in the world in your team, but when they're in a 0-2 hole, it's an 0-2 hole. They have dug out of it. They have come back to tight. It's, it's interesting. I was talking to Chris Finch, the Wolves coach, recently, and it was on the day of game three before it had started. And... So, or excuse me, and the, yeah, and and he thought that Giannis would eventually kind of exert his will on the series, especially do it at home. That is what has happened in Milwaukee, and he thinks Milwaukee is going to win. How do you think things are shaping up that way? What do you? What's your read on just who has the upper hand in the series? Well, right I now? picked the Bucks going into this, okay. this playoffs. I thought that this was their time to make a run toward an NBA championship. They've been down, you know, the playoff role of the last few years. Things haven't gone well. You know, they lose to Toronto after being up, you know, two games to zero a few years ago. And then last year, it was just a tough year for everyone. You know, people criticized them a great deal about losing to Miami in the bubble. But it was it was tough for a lot of people, you know, during the bubble. So I don't count that as a major failure for them a year ago because you know, having four or five months off before the playoff resumed once again, it was just hard for certain teams to find their rhythm and to find their place. But going into this, this playoff season, I, I thought that the Milwaukee Bucks would have enough to get themselves over the hump, and I still do believe that. Yeah, it's you know, and, and what I re- am really interested to get your thoughts on as a as a player who's been in these playoff series and and played and knows the ebbs and flows of it. I mean. One thing that has kind of bothered me about the way that these series are analyzed from the media's perspective, and I'm one of them, so I can kind of throw these stones, but um, when one team wins one game, that's the way that the rest of the series is going to go automatically, right? Like, you know, it, it's it's Chris Paul, it, you know, score, it scores all these points at the, in game one, and he's going to be unstoppable. The Bucks have no answer for him. Suns in four or five, and then you know you you just get into the flow, and I don't think people really account for just the way that coaches can look at things and and adjust the way that players play differently when they're when it's zero zero when they're down o two when they're up o two, and all of a sudden um you know the bucks come back and they win two in Milwaukee, and now it's boy, the Phoenix Suns are toast there's no way. They're coming back from it. As a player, like how did you guys navigate those twists and turns and make sure that, hey, you lose one game and, and, and you don't let that carry over for the rest of the series? Well, you have to think about you know how you got to this point. And getting to this point, you didn't go undefeated. And you know that you're going to have some good days and some bad days. And a playoff matchup, you know, they're no different in, in, in that situation as well. You know, the Phoenix Suns, you know, as as the favorite, like I mentioned before, going into this deal, they knew that Milwaukee was going to be tough. Mm-hmm. This was not going to be a cakewalk for them. As you mentioned, some people on the outside who may not understand the dynamics on, on how things work on the inside may not may not realize that, hey, I'm in the NBA final, <laughs> and I'm playing against the best of the best. And there is no way, you know, that the guy I'm playing against is just going to lay down and let me walk all over him. They're going to put up a fight. I know this team is good enough to beat me. I just have to figure out before this thing is all said and done is to find a way, you know, to win a championship. And it's going to be tough. Can I make one more play here or there? Will it be a hustle play? Will it be getting to a loose ball? Will it be someone coming in off the bench? 
you know, and, and, and going four for four or five for five in a tough situation when we need those 10 or 11 points to, to make a difference. You know, will someone hustle and get that extra offensive rebound to give us one more possession to close out the game? So uh, for players, you know, they don't get too high and too low in these situations because they, they understand the ebbs and flows of a playoff-type situation. Do you think, uh, is it possible that sometimes, um, even in the NBA Finals, you know, everything's on the line, championship, legacy, all these things, uh, that a team might get up 0-2 and just take the foot off the gas a little bit. It's, it's possible. Yeah, does that happen? It can yeah. happen, mm-hmm. you know, because it's human nature. Mm-hmm. It's human nature. Um, but you know that you're playing against a guy that is good enough to beat you. You know that. And and, and at some point in time, you know, when you, when you are not at your absolute best, you know, they can rise to the occasion. I go back to 1993 when I was playing for the Bulls, and... You know, when you get to the NBA Finals, we have a tough, you know, six-game series with the New York Knicks. We were down 0-2. We lost the first two games in Madison Square Garden, and everyone said the Bulls are done. There's no way they can come back and win this deal. So when I was walking off the floor in Madison Square Garden after game number two, you know, a number of fans said to me, said, Trent, man, you know, we, we feel very sorry for you. you know, <laughs> all of a sudden now, you know, you go to Chicago, and, and the Knicks are about to take the Bulls out. You know, we, we, we wish you were still here. And I said, uh, we've only lost two games, but we lost two games on the road. Mm -hmm. We didn't lose two games on our home floor. So when we got back to Chicago, having, you know, two days off or three days off before game number three, we had to to sit down and watch the tape and and break some things down and figure out what do we need to do as a team now, you know, to overcome the New York Knicks. We have to become more physical. Right now, the Knicks are pushing us around. We haven't seen a physical team in a very long time. So from the last time we played them to the end of the season, we didn't play against a team that, that brought that type of physicality. So it, it took us two or three games to adjust to that. And once we were able to you know, to resolve the, the, the physicalness of the New York Knicks, we knew that we had the better team. And then we were able to go on to win four straight games from there. But getting back to Madison Square Garden for game number five, we felt like that if, if we're going to win this series, this is the game that we have to win. Mm-hmm. We felt like that for the New York Knicks, this was the, this was the first of two seven games for them. Mm-hmm. You don't want to lose game number five as the home team because now you know you're facing elimination. And, but the mindset has to be tough. The players have to understand now that every possession counts. Uh, you you have to be in tune with your teammates defensively. You know your rotations have to be tight. Offensively, you have to run the right play at the right time. But if you're a three point shooter, do you take a quick shot off the first pass with 19 seconds on the shot clock? No. So you can get that shot 14 seconds later. And all those little things, those little nuances, understanding time and situations, so is so important at this time of the year. And if you make the wrong decision, you know, in that time is in situation space, it could cost your team a game. When you got back to Madison Square Garden for game five, did you notice Nick's the pressure was on? Yep, tightening oh, oh, yeah. up. Oh, yeah. Yep. And then you can use that to your advantage, right? Well, because we knew that if we lost game number five, you know, the Eastern Conference Finals playoffs, they were not over. Mm-hmm. We were going back to Chicago for game number six. And the Knicks knew that, hey, if we lose this game, 
we are facing elimination. This is almost like an elimination game. And we, we knew we had the best player in Michael Jordan. We had the greatest closer in Michael Jordan. But also we had Scottie Pippen. And we had a team that had been to this situation a number of times. So they knew how to close out games. And good defensive play by Scottie Pippen, Michael Jordan on Horace Grant, and Horace Grant on Charles Smith to deny him a chance to put the Knicks up by one. And then B.J. Armstrong was able to finish off the game with the, with the layup. But we knew that game number five, the home team felt all the pressure. Great stuff with Double T to start this first segment of In the Zone. I'm John Krasinski from The Athletics, sitting in for Dave Sinekin. When we come back, we'll get into a little bit of the Wolves talk and, and just kind of you know bounce some things off of each other and, and see where they are. Talk a little Ben Simmons, talk a few other trades. You're listening to In the Zone. Here to In the Zone on KFAN. I'm John Krasinski from The Athletics, sitting in for Dave Sinekin here with the professor of hoopology, Double T, Trent Tucker. And Trent and I were just uh, off air breaking down a little bit of maybe some of the adjustments that Phoenix will make going into tonight's Game 5. We will get into that a little bit later in the show. We'll take some calls if you have questions, any hoops questions, any other questions for us a little bit later in the show as well. But Double T, it's been a little while since we've kind of connected on on the Timberwolves and on um, on how their season ended, on on kind of what their next steps are as they went down the stretch and started to find a little bit of success. Did you look at that and say, okay, there's something you can build on here, or is this, hey, end of the season kind of you know other teams are playing out the string and there's a little fool's gold here? Well, you, you want to end the season on the right note if you can mm-hmm. and to see if you can build some confidence going into into the next year. You know, but for me, Carl Anthony Towns is the guy that I believe has to take his game to a whole new level. You know, he has he has been the best player on this team over the last two or three years. And there were a lot of people around the league at one point in time was saying that if you had to take one young player to start your team with, you know, his name is right there at the top of the list. I know he's going through a lot of difficult things, especially off the court, you know, losing his mother and some family members to COVID-19. That's very hard for any person to deal with. He hasn't been able to stay healthy, you know, for a large portion of the season as well. And if he can put some of those things behind him, which I know that are very difficult and stay healthy, then he has to be the guy that, take, that, that takes the huge step. Chris Paul was a, was a major add and a huge plus for the Phoenix Suns. But before they got Chris Paul, Devin Booker in the bubble was beginning to show that what type of player he could become. You know, for two or three years, he was a guy that scored a lot of points on a bad team. But now he's a guy that can score a lot of points on a championship-type team. 
And I believe that Carl Anthony Towns may have to try to take that same step that Devin Booker has taken if the Wolves want to become better. I think it's a great point. I think that, um, you know, there's, there are plenty of good reasons for it. There are plenty of um, understandable things for it. But the simple fact of the matter is, is that at one time, the conversation was Towns and Bede Jokic. Who's the best young big in the league? Right. How do you build around them all? And there were plenty of people who would tell you, I'll take Carl Anthony Towns in oh, that no conversation. Doubt about it. No doubt about it. He has since been surpassed by those two by quite a wide margin. For sure. And I think that if there is some sort of optimism that Wolves fans want to have or that the organization wants to have with him, you hope that this summer he can sort of get back to a little bit more normal routine. He's always going to miss his mother. He's always going to have these things that that are bothering him. But I think that because he's not in the throes of the grief immediately, maybe he will be able to work on his game, to work on his body this summer, because I don't think he picked up a basketball for much of the summer last year while he was going through everything, while you had the pandemic. And he still came out and put up numbers, you know, and and so in that way, hey, pretty impressive. You know, he doesn't doesn't really do a whole lot in the offseason. It still comes up and gives you, you know, 22 and and, and 10. But um, I do think that he he slipped backward in his development or he stagnated. And so if the team can engage with him and he can kind of get back to getting in great shape, uh, trying to stay healthy that way and adding to his game, um, I think that he can close that gap again and get back there. But the work has to come, and and that's the kind of production that the Wolves need from him going forward. Well, also, you mentioned that he has always put up great numbers. Mm -hmm. But at some point in time, you're hoping that those great numbers can translate to wins. Mm -hmm. And that's what Devin Booker has been able to do. Now, a lot of people can can go back and say, well, the addition of Chris Paul is the reason why Devin Booker has become a better player and why the Phoenix Suns now are playing for an NBA championship. And all those things could be very well be true. But Devin Booker is a guy now that in big moments, like in game number four on the road, he went out and put up 40-plus points. Mm -hmm. I mean, he had his team right there on the threshold of taking a 3-1 lead. Somehow, some way, they were not able to finish off the deal. Few mistakes here, there coming down the stretch allowed the Milwaukee Bucks, you know, to win game number four to tie this thing up. Can Carl Anthony Towns, you know, put his team in a situation at some point in time, not to make an NBA playoff run, but contend for a playoff spot? Mm -hmm. Is he ready now to take the next step? I know Anthony Edwards showed a great deal of promise as a first year player. But for me, I still believe, you know, that the buck has to stop with Carl Anthony Towns. One of the really interesting things that I've seen is, I mean, obviously, so Phoenix adds Chris Paul. That's been a huge boon for them. I do believe that Tom Thibodeau thought Jimmy Butler would have the same effect on the Timberwolves that Chris Paul has had on the Suns. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the personalities, all of the conflict that happened ultimately led to that not working and flaming out in a major way. But that was kind of the, the, the path that Tibbs was trying to follow. Let me get a veteran leader, someone who is ultra competitive, 
to come in and really show these young guys what the final steps need to be uh, taken to get to that next level. Chris Paul has just done it a heck of a lot better than Jimmy did here. Maybe Devin Booker and Aiton are better than Wiggins and Towns. I don't know what you think about that. But um, in in that term, it just seems like Chris Paul has found a way to connect with DeAndre Ayton, with Devin Booker, with Cam Johnson, with Mikael Bridges, with all of these guys, and get them all together on a string the way that Jimmy Butler was not able to do. You know, Chris Paul is a, is a tough leader. He's a demanding individual. He has a, a strong personality. And sometimes, you know, throughout his career, he has rubbed his teammates the wrong yeah. way as well. Mm-hmm. But those guys have been able to accept Chris Paul for who he is, especially in Phoenix. And now they have found a way to blend what they bring to the table and what he brings to the table to balance that off, to put themselves in a situation to win a championship. We all know that what Jimmy Butler brought to the Wolves during that time, he gave them that veteran leader, that young all-star that they needed to become a playoff contending team. Before he went down with the knee injury, you know, the Wolves were in the fourth spot in the Western Conference. So there is a blueprint on how you can become better. But if the Wolves are not able to add a person like that once again, and we all know that how that played out you know, over the going into the next season, if they're not able to bring in a veteran player of a Chris Paul or a Jimmy Butler type status, then you have to turn to Carl Anthony Towns and see if he's ready because now he is that young veteran. He's that young all-star you know, that needs to take his game to a whole new level to see if he can put his team in the playoff-type situation once again. Well, and we even saw, I mean, I think that, you know, Towns was left a lot to be desired in terms of you know, everything that he was doing when he came back from the injury last year, but he still had a positive impact in terms of when he was on the floor, life is easier for Anthony Edwards. Mm-hmm. D'Angelo Russell gets more open looks. Like, there is a gravitational pull that he has offensively, at least, that does open things up for others. But he just, he's got to be much better defensively. And there's got to be, I guess, what what do you think is the other thing that is missing from him that will allow those numbers to start translating more to wins? Well, when I when I mention certain names, is is about how do you uplift your team? Mm-hmm. Jalen Suggs is a winner. Yeah. He's a winner. He may not be playing the best in a certain game here or there, but he can uplift his team to make them better. They can rise to the occasion. He can make a play here or there when he's not at his absolute best. There are a lot of guys in this league that can score, but there are not a lot of guys who can lead and uplift the guys who are around them. And I think that's what the Wolves are missing. What Jimmy Butler brought to this team, he was able to uplift the team. He was able to put them in a situation, you know, where they could become a playoff contending team in the Western Conference. Chris Paul it has that same type of mentality. That's what the Wolves are missing at this stage. And if they are not able to bring in someone who has that certain quality, and when you look inside this team, who do you turn to to see if that person has those attributes? When we come back, we'll talk. We'll we'll take a look around the league and see if there is a veteran type option that the Wolves can go get. Um, trying to bounce a few names off a of double T and and see what everyone thinks. You're listening to In the Zone on the Fan. 
Back here on The Fan on a beautiful Saturday morning, I'm Johnny Athletic, John Krasinski, sitting in for Dave Sinekin here on In The Zone with Double T, Trent Tucker. Uh, Double T, we were talking last segment about Carl Anthony Towns and about kind of what needs to happen for the Timberwolves to take that next step. And I thought it was kind of an interesting path to continue to go down because um, the bottom line, when you look at, let's look at the rest of the playoffs right now, or or the final four at least, right? I mean, you had Phoenix, you had the Clippers, you had Milwaukee, you had Atlanta. And all four of those franchises, the Clippers less so, but the, the other three in particular, Suns, Hawks, Bucks, you looked at within the last six, seven years as hopeless. As yeah. where are they going to go? How are they going to get out of this? And I think, you know, some Timberwolves fans and people look at the Wolves and say, maybe maybe it's hopeless here and you're not going to be able to get back into this. What are we doing wasting our time with this? But you've seen these franchises kind of rise up out of the rubble and become very, very competitive and and really build something that wasn't there. Now, you've had some ownership changes, which obviously help. You have maybe some new stadiums, new arenas and things that help. But really what it comes down to, in my mind, is the Bucks got lucky with Giannis. You know, Trey Young has turned into a real playmaker for Atlanta. Um, you know, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Aiton, they've all kind of come together. That talent has been there to, you know, be good enough that no matter who you have coaching, no matter who you have as the owner, all those things, like you got these guys, you're going to have a chance. And I think that's the thing with Towns is he is going to be going into his seventh season. And so far, he has not proven to be one of those elite players that, hey, no matter what's happening around me, I am going to be good enough to raise the level of my team into the playoff conversation. And 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 you hit the for sure hit the nail on the head for sure. And Trey Young, when he first came into the league, mm-hmm. everyone was trying to compare him to Steph Curry. And I think when he first came to the league, he was shooting three point shots all over the place. And he was just taking, you know, bad shots. And the Atlanta Hawks, they were a bad team. But somehow, some way, he figured things out over the last few years. Is that I need to be a basketball player. And what he was able to do this year, after the coaching change, the brother Nate McMillan, to put his team in the Eastern Conference Finals, was amazing. And Trey Young has shown now that he is a young leader. He's a guy that can uplift his team. If you take him off the Atlanta Hawks today, they're a lottery team. Mm-hmm. They don't make the playoffs. No one saw Trey Young when he left college coming into the NBA being this type of talent that could uplift his team and put them in a situation that they were in this past season. I mean, this year. Mm-hmm. No one saw that. No, and and we saw even in the in the semifinal in the conference finals, if he doesn't step on that referee's foot, he gets hurt. I mean, all of a sudden, you know, they could be playing for a championship. Exactly. Right. I mean, that's what it comes down to. And so I think like I I do think that that is one of the conversations that has to happen with Cat is that we know that you've had a lot of volatility around you. You've had a lot of turnover with the front office, with the coaching staff. 
a lot of your teammates, let's be frank, have not been very good players. Like you've been surrounded, other than the Jimmy Butler year, surrounded with a lot of players that are either eh, they're okay or um, they're less than okay. And and so he hasn't had a lot of help. But the really great ones are the ones that say it doesn't matter, you know, or I am going to at least make the players around me better than they would be otherwise. And that's what we haven't seen. And I think that's where maybe there is some different kind of hope in Anthony Edwards that he eventually, a few years from now, ascends and is a player that can do that for the Timberwolves where Carl Anthony Towns has not been able to. Well, you're hoping that someone can rise, you know, to that to that level. But at this stage for the Wolves, the name that has been front and center has been Carl Anthony Towns. And we've seen the the wonderful talent, you know, that Anthony Edwards, you know, brought to the table this year. When he left it when the season ended, the first thing he talked about he needed to go home this summer and work on, on certain things in his game to make him a better basketball player. And that's great for all Wolves fans to hear. But the buck at this stage still stops and ends with Carl Anthony Towns mm-hmm. because Trey Young is a, is a great example. After, what, a few years, after leaving college, he has put the Atlanta Hawks, as you mentioned before, a team that was going nowhere, in a situation now where everyone is talking about them, you know, being a contender in the Eastern Conference. So we got a, a email in here from uh, Dwayne Miller, and you can email us at booth at kfan.com. But uh, he, kind of in that mold, in the in the direction of this conversation, he says, Double T, would you trade Russell and Towns for a high pick so you could pair Ant with Suggs on the Wolves? I think, like, let's just let's take Russell out of it for a second because. They're two max contracts. They're not going to get traded to one team and all. Let's just say with Towns, like, do you think that the Wolves should continue on this path with Towns, Edwards, Russell, see if the three of them can come together and, and, and kind of discover a different level the way that Booker has discovered in Phoenix? Or do you, would you be in favor of, Hey, we have this Carl Anthony Towns under contract for another four years. Still a very young and gifted he's big very man. Ta- he's very talented. Um, do you, do you try and explore moving him for that high pick where you could maybe get a Suggs, you could get a Jalen Green, somebody like that to pair with Anthony Edwards? That's more on the Edwards timeline of things than maybe on the Towns timeline of things. Well, it, it all depends on the style of play mm-hmm. and the direction that you see your franchise going over the next two or three years, and if you are thinking about making a move of that nature, well, then you have to figure out what's the value in return to my team and what kind of players can we bring in to fit the style of play that now the head coach wants to put on the floor on a nightly basis. And going forward, we know that Chris Finch likes to play fast. He wants to put three-point shots up. And then you have to ask yourself, if this guy is my best player, how does he fit into the things that we like to do? And if I'm not going to use what he brings to the table on a consistent basis, then we may have to look to go in a different situation to bring these types of players in that can fit you know, the style that we want to put on the floor on a nightly basis. I go back to in the mid-'80s when I was playing for the Knicks when Rick Pitino took over the basketball team. 
you know, coming out of college, you know, he had a different mindset on how he wanted to play. Well, the guys who were there all played under Hubie Brown. Half court, walking up the floor, he called a play every single time down. But Rick Pitino wanted to play fast. He wanted to press and trap. He wanted to shoot three-point shots. You know, we became the Golden State Warriors in the 80s before the Golden State Warriors became who they are, you know, in the present time. But he had to eliminate a lot of guys who were very good playing half-court basketball to bring in the type of players that could fit his system. So it was a, it was a whole set of changes. It all depends on if the Wolves are even thinking about moving Carl Anthony Towns then they have to figure out what kind of players we can play, bring in because the, the style that we want to play now no longer fits this game. And you, just for, for clarity's sake, for fans who are listening, from the people that I talk to within the organization, I don't get any sense that they are ready to fire that bullet yet. Right. Like they want to still see what they have with Towns. They have him under contract for a while. They think that he and Edwards can really complement each other and play well. It will be interesting, though, with Chris Finch, how the offense continues to evolve because they do want to play fast and Towns is not a guy who's running all the time and, and, and beating guys down the floor and foot races and things like that, but he's their best shooter. And, and so they can incorporate him that way and he can still bring a lot to the table in terms of what they want to do schematically, stylistically from the shooting and and passing aspect of it, but he's not going to get out in transition with you. Well, and then that becomes a problem. Mm Mm-hmm. Because he is your best player. And your best player now no longer really fits into the things that you like to do because he cannot become the number one option. Even though we want to play fast under Rick Pitino, even though we want to press and trap and shoot three-point shots, we had Patrick Ewan. But Patrick Ewan had the ability as an athlete to press and trap and run the floor. And if, and if Patrick Ewan did not have those qualities or those talents, then he would not have been a very good fit, you know, for the New York Knicks. Even though he was our best player, it's because he had the talent to fit into what Rick Pitino wanted us to do. But also as players, we understood that when the game was on the line and you're working hard on the defensive end and you get that stop that you need. Yeah, we want to play fast. Yeah, Trent, you can take a quick three-point shot one-on-four if we like, because that's what the system allows you to do. But you have to understand time and situation. I can't take this three-point shot right now, even though the coach is not going to say a word to me, is because the first option and the best option to start this offensive set has to go inside the Patrick Ewing. It's a similar um, conundrum to what the Sixers dealt with with Simmons and Embiid, right? Because Mm -hmm. Simmons was this guy who wants to get the ball, get out in transition, and run. And that's where he's most effective. He's not really he's not good in the half court in terms of you know, hitting a fifteen footer, like you're breaking down the defense that way. But then you have Embiid, who is their best player, who is more methodical, who is kind of, you know, get up the floor, get into the post, go to work there, you know, work guys at the elbow and bully ball and that sort of thing. And that's why you're seeing, I think, that kind of partnership come to its end, and that's why Philly has to probably make a move there and break it up. And so, you know, is Finch going to be able to thread a needle with Towns be and wanting to run and and still having this kind of post guy who 
doesn't really want to get out there. Well, because you eliminate all the things that he brings to the table. You know, he can shoot a three-point shot, but you don't want Carl Anthony Towns making a living from the three-point line mm-hmm. because he has a low post game. He he's a good free throw shooter. He should be able to to put your team in the bonus and get them free throws as as, as well. If you're going to play up and down the floor, you want to try to score 115, 120 points a night, knowing that your best player is not a good fit for the style and the system that you want to bring to the table. But then you may have to 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 look at some different options to see if moving him is the right thing to do and to bring the type of player, players in that can fit our system. When we come back, Double T and I will break it down a little bit more. Um, if he's Gerson Rosas, what is his biggest priority going into, into this offseason and going into next season? I'm John Krasinski sitting in for Dave Sinekin. You are listening to In the Zone. This is the fan. Second hour of In the Zone here on KFAN 100.3. I'm John Krasinski, Johnny Athletics, sitting in for Dave Sinekin here with Double T, Trent Tucker in the 651 Carpet Studio. We're talking hoops. We're talking a lot of Wolves, talking a lot of NBA. If you have any uh, questions that you want to get in, you can call us. You can uh, you can email us at booth at KFAN.com, and we'll see if we can get to anything that's on your mind. Uh, we are talking now, Trent. You are... Gerson Rosas, you're the president of basketball operations for the Timberwolves. What is your biggest priority this offseason? We're getting close to the draft. They don't have any picks. Free agency is right around the corner starting in August. What do you have to accomplish in these next three, four weeks to get your team in a position where at least they can go into the season thinking, we should have a chance to be in that play-in game conversation, in that kind of playoff conversation. I think the first thing I would I would do is that I would uh, get on the phone and have a conversation with Carl Anthony Towns to find out where he's at in his space, and and then to see what mindset he's in. I know he's going through a very difficult time over the last you know year or so, and the season didn't go as well. Um, and then just to, to figure out, you know, where he's at and then sit down to talk with the head coach to figure out what kind of style of play that, you know, that we're going to bring to the table. Yeah. And if Carl Anthony Towns is going to be my best player, I got to find out what mindset is in to make sure that he's ready to go and doing the things that he needs to do to get himself in tip top shape so that he can be the player that, that we need him to be this coming up season. But also, you know, having a deep conversation, you know, with the coach and, and their staff also to, to see how, to see exactly how we're going to use our best player with the Sarge system. And I, to me, like, the big key, I think, is that Gerson Rosas and Chris Finch have to find a way to bring some accountability into the equation. Because mm-hmm. I do think that for the bulk of Carl Anthony Towns career in Minnesota 
there has been a lot of catering, a lot of, you know, rolling out the red carpet for him. And hey, in, in, in fairness to the Wolves, a lot of that is how the, the modern NBA works. You make your stars happy. You make them want to be here. And you hope that that takes care of some of the other things. But it has gotten to a point where they have not been um, successful enough to not have feet held to the fire a little bit. With Carl Anthony Towns, with D'Angelo Russell, I think you want to do with Anthony Edwards as well while he's young. And so before he kind of gets to an entitled position within an organization. And so to be able to give them the straight talk that they need, the real feedback that they need, and get them to respond to that in a productive way um, is is going to be just really key for what kind of potential this team has going forward. Well, and no one should have entitlement when you're not winning. Mm-hmm. No yeah, one should have entitlement right. when you're not winning. Mm-hmm. And I've always believed this, that, yeah, I know certain players make a lot of money. And star players can can have some say so if you're winning. But at the end of the day, the buck stops with the head coach. He's the guy's in charge. He's the guy that's in charge. And if he's not willing to accept that responsibility of being the guy in charge, well then you have to find someone who's willing to do that. Because at the end of the day, if things don't work out, they're gonna let you go anyway. So you might as well do it your way. Mm-hmm. Believe in what you're doing and saying that I I feel like that if we go in this direction, this is going to be the best way for this team to win. Mm-hmm. It may not work out, but at least you but at least you put yourself in a situation where you felt like that, hey, I was doing the right things to give myself and this team a chance to win. Because once you start to cater, you know, to players and their and, and the team is not winning. Well, you're doomed because now you've lost control and respect of the locker room. And you cannot afford to do that as a head coach. Well, and then the other thing that we've kind of been hinting at for most of the show, but is good to get into now is that, you know, you look at what Phoenix did in bringing in Chris Paul. You look at maybe Milwaukee with Drew Holiday, the, their big trade that they made. Um, the Wolves do not, A, they, A, they don't have any draft picks coming up in the, in the upcoming draft. B, they don't have any real uh, free agency cap space um, to spend on free agents. And, oh, by the way, Minnesota has always been a difficult place to recruit free agents to come play anyway because the team's lack of success, because of the weather, all these other things. So, really, their main kind of way to improve this roster is through trade. they got to find you know something out there. Yep, a trade partner to make it happen. There has been a lot of talk about going and getting Ben Simmons. Um, I think it's going to be incredibly difficult, just given the Wolves' relative lack of assets, to go do it. But first of all, are you in favor of adding Ben Simmons to this core? Do you think that would be a, a, a good move to do if they could pull a rabbit out of their hat and make it happen? No, Ben Simmons is a basketball player. Ben Simmons is an all-star. Ben Simmons had a bad stretch. Mm-hmm. Had a really bad stretch. For, for millions of people to see him go through a bad stretch. Who are you going to trade on this team to bring in the Ben Simmons? Right. At this stage, I wouldn't trade Carl Anthony Towns for Ben Simmons. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. 
if Philadelphia is willing to, to take a lesser package, maybe a D'Angelo Russell and somebody else, I would do that in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Because I believe it's going to be hard for Philadelphia to get a, a big package in return for Ben Simmons just because when the head coach and your teammates throw you under the bus, Ben Simmons has become damaged goods for the Philadelphia 76ers, and they have put themselves in a very difficult spot to get value in return if they are to move Ben Simmons. Well, and then we were talking a little bit off there about this too, but you're right. Like, I think a lot of people are concentrating on the criticism that Ben has received from media, from the, certainly the fans in Philly uh, after he played so poorly uh, offensively in, against Atlanta. But you, as a player, know, are saying that we can wipe all that aside. What it really comes down to is when your head coach and your star player are both publicly expressing doubts, expressing frustrations. And so that's where the point of no return is. Yeah, that's 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 hard to take. See, I can overcome, you know, criticism, mm-hmm. you know, from the writers. I understand that they are here to do their job and they evaluate me as a player and they have their opinion. Well, if I play poorly and they're writing things about me playing poorly, got no problem with that. I got no problem with the fans. It's because those things that I have not been able to do in this moment in time, I can fix those things as a basketball player. But the one thing that I cannot fix is the going back into a locker room where I know that my head coach and my teammates have thrown me on the bus. That's unfixable. Mm-hmm. That, that you cannot, you cannot repair that. So the Philadelphia 76ers have really put themselves in a very difficult situation with Ben Simmons. With Ben Simmons. How can Ben Simmons ever trust the guy that he's playing for and some of the people he's playing with ever again? Mm-hmm. How, can, how can he ever trust it? How can you bring that locker room together? It's because now I really know how you feel about me deep down inside. When you are a part of a group and you are a part of a team and you are a part of a locker room, the one thing that every player hopes and believes that when they're going through a difficult time, the guys who are in that locker room with them and the guy who runs that locker room, you're going to be with me, man, through thick and thin. You have my back. I can trust you. Because we all are going to have difficult moments. We all are going to go through difficult times. We all are not going to play well. We're going to have bad stretches and bad situations when things just seems to be falling apart. If I can't trust the guys who are in that locker room or the guy who's running that locker room, it's going to be very hard for me to walk back in there. Yeah, I think it's a tremendous point. And this, I think, also brings us to the idea of value in terms of his trade value. Because, hey, one of the best defensive players in the league, he is a three-time All-Star, He's got a lot of these accomplishments with him. So right now, rightfully so, I think Daryl Morey, the GM of the Sixers, is saying, hey, I got to have an all-star coming back. Oh, yeah. I got to have all these draft picks. I got to have all this stuff coming in. And so if you're the Timberwolves, you say, well, I, I don't have, um, you know, I don't, I can't give you another all-star. I can't, I, we don't have the package that way to do that. But 
I think that if I'm a an opposing GM calling Daryl Morey, if I'm Gerson Rosas calling him, I'm going to say, hey, Daryl, you can play chicken all you want, but there's no possible way you're bringing Ben Simmons back into this situation starting next season and having it be productive and having it right. be a good situation. How can it be? So I'm not giving you all of the best stuff. You're not getting no, you know, you, Damian Lillard no, for Ben Simmons. It's no, not happening. No, no team in the league should give up valuable assets right now to the Philadelphia 76ers because they have deemed Ben Simmons to be damaged goods. Mm-hmm. If I can steal Ben Simmons, I, no doubt about it. Ben Simmons is a basketball player, and the one thing that he's lacking is fixable. It's fixable. Mm-hmm. See, we can fix Ben Simmons, but I'm not going to give the Philadelphia 76ers something in high value in return for what they believe now is damaged goods. We're not going to do that. So the 76ers are stuck. They know they are stuck. They are in a tough situation. And if and if a team is willing to give up a Damian Lillard for Ben Simmons, you have to question the team that just traded Damian Lillard. <laughs> no question about <laughs> you it. You have to question, okay, what in the heck is going on here? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely right. Uh, hey, producer Brett, can you bump in old South Side guy? Uh, he's got a question for the Wolves. I'm I'm technologically challenged here. So old South guy, uh, you're on with Trent and John on the fan. Old Southside hey guy. Yeah, thanks a lot for taking my call, guys. Guys, I got two uh, Timberwolf proposals for you here. Okay. One is marketing slash advertising involved, and the other one is a a good proposed trade. And before you blow off the trade, I'll 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 uh, explain the logic on both sides of the trade equation for you. Um, as far as the marketing scheme. I think Gerson Rosas has already said he wants to build his team around Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards, and D'Angelo Russell. And given that Edwards already has the nickname Ant, I'm suggesting taking the other two guys and calling the three the Ant Colony. <laughs> the Ant Colony, sure. I, I'm, all, I'm all for it, old Southside guy. You signed me up for that, absolutely. Okay. Now, as to my trade proposal, here's what I, uh, I'm going to throw out. I don't want Ben Simmons, but I'll tell you a guy I do want. And forever we've been looking to put someone next to Towns as a four or a stretch four. And I say that guy is Toronto's Pascal Siakam. Mm-hmm. Now, Siakam is available from Toronto. He's owed $104 million. He signed for the next three years, so that comes out to about $34 million a year. I propose we could give up in that trade for him Malik Beasley, Jaden McDaniels, and Rubio, and possibly a draft choice if we have to, a future draft choice. The salaries would match up. Toronto has the fourth choice in this draft. And from all mock drafts, they say they're taking Jalen Suggs. So Rubio would be a great mentor for him. And the salaries would match up. And we would finally have a four to play alongside Towns. And it would make sense for Toronto. They'd get a couple starters out of this. 
and they would trade them out of the Eastern Division. Uh, they, they're not strengthening any of their rivals. So what do you think? What do you say, Double T? It sounds great for the Wolves, mm. but I don't think Toronto would do that. Okay. Because they have the number four pick anyway, right? Mm-hmm. Well, why not keep Pascal Siakam and draft Jalen Sucks? Mm-hmm. See, Pascal Siakam is a guy that they believe that they might be able to build around for the future. And I don't, I, I just don't believe that Toronto would do that. Now, if the, if, if the Wolves could pull it off, it would be a great move for the Wolves for sure. Mm-hmm. But if you know that you can get Jalen Suggs anyway and keep one of your best players, I just don't see Toronto would be willing to make that deal at this time. Yeah, I think the one thing that may um, prompt Toronto to at least consider it, and I do think that they will consider other uh, offers for Siakam as well, is I think down the stretch last year, Siakam and Nick Nurse had a lot of problems. Mm -hmm. And it seemed like he was getting to a point of disenchantment. It looks like Kyle Lowry is going to go out as well. And so you wonder if... They want to get a little bit younger. Now, I know Rubio isn't younger, but what he is is $17 million on the books next year, and then he's off, so they would have some flexibility there. Um, you would get you know, Beasley, Jada McDaniels. Uh, that's Those are two young guys with some promise that maybe you kind of try to retool around a younger group and a younger core. And so I think they might consider that. My question is, from a Wolves perspective, and, and Double T, do you... Where do you put Jaden McDaniels on the list of not untouchables, but on 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 the list of assets that you'd be you know reluctant to part with? I think he's a really good young player uh, with some with some serious upside, but he also is one of the few guys that the Wolves probably would be willing to part with that other teams are really going to want and will give you something in return for. I really can't answer that question, is because I haven't seen enough of him mm-hmm. as a player to say, you know, I would do this or do that. Mm-hmm. But Pascal Siakam in, in Toronto, I've seen enough of him. Really good player. And I I know that if I'm the general manager in Toronto, I'm going to have to get a whole lot in return to give up him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you also have, you, not only is he a, really, he a really good player, but you have him under contract for three more years. Well, like, no, that's it, important. It, now, yeah. he, he and Nick Nurse somehow, some way, have got to find a way to coexist is because Here's a guy that, that helped me win an NBA championship. And we all know that he's an all-star type player. And there are a lot of teams that might be looking to see if they can get him away from us somehow, some way. But if I'm even in the entertainment of thinking about trading someone of that value, I have to get a trade partner that's going to give me something in return that's going to keep me in a playoff type situation. I just cannot trade him to a team, you know, that has not been in been in that situation before. So that's a lot for anyone to ask if you're not willing to give and part with something of high value in return. Yeah. I just can't see Toronto just making that trade to make that trade. You'd have to they'd have to be in a point where they say we're taking a few steps back. We're rebuilding, and they they are a competitive organization. Oh, sure. They just won a championship, so I and don't know a, that he's they... a young player. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a young player. Yep. He's not he's not thirty four, thirty five. Yep. If he was a if he was an aging veteran player, I, you know, I I would get that. Mm-hmm. But here's a young guy that you can build around, and if you're able to draft a Jalen Suggs, 
I mean, why not? Why not make you know you know this the the, the tandem that you can build for as you move throughout the future. We will keep this conversation going on the other side of this break. I'm John Krasinski from The Athletics, sitting in for Dave Sinekin on In the Zone with Double T. You're listening Network. segments here on in the zone i'm john krasinski from the athletic sitting in for dave sinekin here in the 651 carpet studio with double t trent tucker we're talking a lot of wolves we're talking a lot of nba um a lot of ben simmons talk things of that nature um you know at the top of the show trent we talked about this a little bit but i I think it's important maybe for wolves fans who have suffered for a long time and wondering if there's any way out of this to kind of get back into it in a little more detail. Um, I hear all the time as a person who's covered this franchise for 17 years that, you know, Hey, what are you doing? Wasting your time with this? Like they're never going to be good. Nothing's ever going to work out. Like what you're going. And I understand it. Like I get it. Like there has been a series of calamities that have put this organization deep in the hole for a long, long time. But you do look at, Milwaukee, you do look at Phoenix, you do look at Atlanta as teams, you know, Phoenix has an owner who most people believe is the worst in sports. Or Dallas, and you look at Memphis. Yeah, and and you just say, you know, there is a path. You need some luck, you need some good fortune, all of those things. But for, I think, this playoff run with Phoenix, with Milwaukee getting to the finals, even if you know you, you, know, you had LeBron and Anthony Davis with their injury concerns, you had all these other Brooklyn had all of their injury concerns. Hey, it doesn't matter. They're, these are the teams left standing. It can happen, and and I don't think Wolves fans should say, "Well, they can be in the finals in two years." But I do think it does show that if you build the team the right way, if you get a little luck involved, if you make the right decisions, you can climb out of this abyss that it seems like the Wolves have been in for a long, long time. Well, we're hoping they can. Mm-hmm. I mean, your best two players before Anthony Edwards showed his promise, D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns, they have big-time contracts. Mm-hmm. They still have maybe three or four years left on, on long-term deals where they make big money. And those guys could be very hard to move mm-hmm. because it may, hard, it may be hard to find a, a spot where their salaries can, can fit into a space where you can get something in return of value that's going to make your team better. And and if the Wolves are not able to go out and add any other pieces to this team going forward, well, then you have to figure out, okay, how can I make this group work? And that's where the head coach is going to have to really sit down and, and evaluate what he has on the table and find a system, hopefully, that can make this thing happen. Well, and the other interesting aspect of this is that it seems like sometime in the next probably two to three weeks, Mark Laurie and Alex Rodriguez are going to officially join Glenn Taylor's ownership group. 
Okay. And obviously we you know we talked about how you need the talent on the roster and on the floor. That's that's the prominent and the the most important thing. But I wonder if the influx of new money, of new energy, of a different perspective maybe can help at all in this process of trying to freshen things up, trying to get, you know, get things going in the right direction. If they come in, maybe they're willing to spend a little bit more money than Glenn Taylor is willing to spend. Maybe they're willing to make some, you know, changes that Glenn Taylor wasn't willing to make and see if, you know, that sort of thing works out. What do you think, what kind of goes into your evaluation of the ownership thing, or does that not really even matter at all right now in your point? It's about the talent on the floor. Yeah. It's about the talent on the floor, and it's about the guy who who is leading the talent on the floor. What kind of system can he put these players in to find success? That's where it all comes down to. Mm-hmm. Ownership is ownership. Now, if ownership is not willing to spend money to bring in certain things here or there, well, then you can always question that. I don't think Glenn Taylor has not been willing to spend the money. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. He he has he has spent the money. I mean, you can't fault him for that. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe that he's spent the money for the wrong pieces. Well, it seems like that things have not worked out with him spending his money. So, how many head coaches have Carl Anthony Towns had during his time? A lot. Yeah. There you go. Mm-hmm. So, at some point in time, if this if this is the personnel that you're going to move forward with, the guy that's running the talent right now. Has to figure out how to make this work. Do you? What did you think of Chris Finch down the stretch in the in the limited time you saw? I think it's too hard to evaluate yeah. that situation because he came in toward you know almost the end of the season. You know when he first came in, things weren't going well. Then they finished off the season on a nice little run, and that is and that is nice to see. But I think the true evaluation for him will be this season. You have to give him a full season to see exactly what he brings to the table. And and also for him, you know, during this off season, he would have a a longer period of time to evaluate exactly what's on his plate, mm-hmm. and figure out. Hey, I have a I have a philosophy and a style on how I want to play, but when I sit down and talk to the VP of Basketball Operations, that we are not able to change any of the personnel on this team, where maybe I don't have the certain guys that can fit my style of play. So now as a head coach, I have to make those adjustments. It's going to be up to me now to be to be able to improvise to see how I can put this talent in a situation to be successful. I do think that he has a lot of sway now in the organization in terms of what happens going forward because Gerson Rosas stuck his neck out for him in the middle of a season when Ryan Saunders was fired, you know, it's not that everyone was saying, how could you do that to Ryan Saunders? They were seven and 24 at the time that, you know, that generally kind of does not mean good things for your head coach, but the way that it all went down with Chris Finch coming from outside in, in the middle of a season, which is very rare. I think that this was Rosas's one bullet to fire on that front. And so he has to be, um, as supportive as possible for Finch and Finch probably has a little bit more leverage to get things done that he wants to get done to play players. He wants to play. I don't think that Rosas is going to have kind of the same sort of um, influence 
on rotations and things like that that he had with Ryan Saunders, a younger coach who was just trying to do whatever he could to kind of build some sort of partnership there. I don't believe that Rosas really wanted to keep Ryan Saunders. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. I think he was he was put in a situation where he had to. Mm-hmm. And when things didn't work out, Glenn may have finally given him the green light to go in a different direction. Because most GMs that, that come in or VP of, of basketball or operations, when they take over a team that is not winning, they want to bring in their own guy. Mm-hmm. They want to be able to do uh, things their way. But I felt like in this situation, he was forced to keep Ryan Saunders. And now he, now he has a chance with the guy that he believes they can turn this thing around to move forward with to see if they can make it work. And in fairness to Ryan, like what I always say, you know, I, I do think I liked what I saw from Chris Finch down the stretch. I thought there were some things that started to come together, that the offense looked a little more organized, that things just were clicking a little bit better. But also, he also had D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns on the floor together for an extended period that Ryan never had. And, you know, when you see, you have to have, you have to have your players to be able to win. I mean, the Golden State Warriors were the worst team in the league when Steph and Clay were hurt Mm -hmm. for an entire season. And, and so that is one thing that I thought that Ryan did not get that opportunity to really see how things would work when everyone was healthy because they were never healthy with him. Well, that's, that's, that's very true. I mean, you you need your players. You need your you know you need all of your best players to stay healthy for as long as they can. But I believe the the real evaluation will be this year. Yep. If these guys can stay healthy, what system will they play? What what type of defense you know will they bring to the table every single night? Because some of the games I watch, I mean, they were giving up wide open three point shots. I mean, on a consistent basis, yep. guys was driving down the lane. People didn't know exactly where they needed to be. So at the end of a season when things are not going well for you and you win three or four or five or six games here or there, yeah, people can get excited about that and say, hey, things are, seems like they are moving in the right direction. But those six or seven games really didn't put, put you any closer to a playoff type situation or a playing game to get into to the playoffs. So I think it's just – Give him a chance to start over with this season to see exactly what he can bring to the table. As I mentioned before, if the Wolves are not able to make any significant changes to their roster, and this is going to be the team that we're going to start this season out with this year, 21-22. Let's see what he can bring to the table. What type of you know program can he bring and to put these guys in a situation where they believe now they can win. Because the Western Conference will be tough. Mm-hmm. Let's say if the NBA stays with the play-in game situation, where you know that now is not eight spots to make the playoffs, you can finish in the 10th spot with a shot to be in a playoff type situation. Memphis is going to be tough. No doubt. Dallas is going to be better. Uh, Portland, I don't see them just giving away Damian Lillard, so they're a playoff team. So let's take the top eight teams you know, who made the playoffs this year. Well, Golden State's going to be better next year if everybody's mm-hmm. healthy. Mm-hmm. So there's a ninth team. San Antonio will San be better. San Antonio is a tenth team. Sacramento should be better. 
I just don't think Lou Walton is the right coach for them. Agreed. And all of a sudden, Houston and OKC are really the only ones that seem farther away. Right. And who knows what could happen with Oklahoma City? Mm-hmm. You know, they got a what a million draft picks. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I mean, and all of a sudden now they swing a, a deal here or there, and they bring in one or two quality veteran players, and then all of a sudden you fighting with them, you know, for uh, a spot in the Western Conference as well. If the Wolves are to stay where they are with Towns and Edwards and Russell and Beasley and a few other guys here that you just mentioned, can Chris Finch find the right formula to put these guys in the winning type situation? That's the key. We'll come back for our final segment. We'll have the Secretary of Sports Insight, of course. We will talk. We'll go back to the fi- uh, to the finals, talk game five one more time. When we come back, I'm John Krasinski with The Athletics, sitting in with Double T on In the Zone. On the fan. Back for the final segment here on In the Zone. I'm John Krasinski with The Athletic, Johnny Athletic, sitting in for Dave Sinekin. We have uh, Double T, Trent Tucker, in the 651 Carpet Studio. Hey, Brett, you want to patch in Jamar uh, real quick, and then um, and we'll get into some playoff talk. Jamar from Brooklyn Park, what's up, man? Good morning. How are you, fellas? Good, good. Jamar, what's up, man? How about them Cowboys? <laughs> <laughs> How about them I'm excited to see us on Hard Knocks. I can't wait. I cannot absolutely wait, Trent. I know you can. Record every episode. I know you can. I know you can on Hard Knocks, right? Absolutely, absolutely, Trent. You know what? I kind of spoke on the last week, man, about being just a lay fan. You know, that watches basketball. Uh, Can I reiterate again how excited I am about these here finals, man? Uh Uh, Look, to me, it looks like it's going to come down to who has the last home game, which is Phoenix, right? Yeah. Uh, I think it's great that each team defends and wins at home. I think that's what you're supposed to do. So that makes it that, that's what makes it a, a very pivotal game when you're at home. Um, to me, Trent, how do you explain how each team blows each other out when they're at home? You know, where's the momentum coming from? Is the fans in the building or catches? flat out knowing that this is their chance to get a ring. And do you believe that with the last game being in Phoenix, that uh, Phoenix will ultimately win the championship? That's, you know, those are, those are good questions. Uh, you know, when you play at home, you play with a little bit more confidence. And you hear a lot of experts always talk about role players play better at home. Yes. And you can get, you know, some good performance, you know, when, you, when you're familiar with, with the place that you're playing in. Everything kind of seems to fall in place for you. You believe in yourself a little bit more, and also your when things are not going well, you know you have the home fans on your side. You know they can give you that energy boost that you need to get to get over the hump. But it's hard to win games at home because you're supposed to win, and both teams have done a very good job of holding court so far over the first four games. Game five is a is a must win for the Phoenix Suns. Mm. It's a must win for the Phoenix Suns because. You know, this is the first of two game sevens for them. You lose game five is almost like it's, 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 it's an elimination game. And we know game seven is an elimination game for both teams, but now for the home team, you know, you don't want to go back to Milwaukee down three games to two. You don't, you, you don't want that to happen. But 
you and I were talking about this off the air. If I was the Phoenix Suns in the close game, let's say game tonight is a close game, is, you know, back and forth, 101, 99 with three minutes to go. And all of a sudden now we know the Milwaukee Bucks is going in, into their two-man game with Giannis and, and Chris Middleton. And Chris Middleton has, has become the closer for the Milwaukee Bucks we've seen throughout this playoff run. Every time they went to that pick-and-roll situation, I would trap Chris Middleton and force him to throw the ball to Giannis mm-hmm. to see if, if, if he can make a 15-footer with the game on the line or if he can make free throws to close things. Put him on the line, yeah. On the line. He's had some good moments in these finals, 13-17, one of them. But he, now, he is their best player for sure. Mm-hmm. We know that. And Chris Middleton now has, has shown that he is their best closer. But now, with the game on the line, with those two guys in the pick-and-roll situation, I have to make the best closer become a passer under pressure, and now I can see if the best player on the Milwaukee team, Milwaukee Bucks team can make plays coming down the stretch offensively to close this deal out. It seems like that Brooklyn had something going in that route before everyone got hurt and and the Bucks kind of outlasted them because you saw sometimes in that series where they would get the ball into Giannis's hands and then sort of sag off of him and he would sort of back it out behind the line then try and take a running sprint downhill to try and get that momentum going and all of that force and there were times where he was flustered with that. Oh, yeah. And and so, yeah, I think either you turn him into a jump shooter or you turn him into the one trick, I'm going to the basket and that's the only way, and then you put him on the line when he does have that success. I mean, that's better than we've seen Milton have those those moments of becoming a huge shot maker in these playoffs. Because also you have to realize that the shot clock is running down. Yeah. So, because when they go to the pick and roll situation and Chris Milton is taking three or four dribbles, you know the shot clock is is normally under 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 six. So you had you know you had six you know you have five or six seconds left, and now he makes one more swing past the Giannis, where Giannis doesn't have enough time now to try to get to the basket. So he's got to respond very quickly. And I would I would I would I would love to see if I'm the Phoenix Suns when the game is on the line, can Giannis, you know the Greek freak, make fifteen to seventeen foot jump shots or can he make free throws to close the game out? Let's see if I can do this. Uh, John in Minneapolis, are you there? Oh, John, we'll come back to you here in one second here. We got Brett coming back. So, um, um, But, yeah, here we go. John in Minneapolis, uh, how, how's it going? You want to talk a little Aaron Rodgers? Oh, yeah, I wanted to ask y'all. <laughs> uh, good morning, Mr. Tucker. Good morning, morning John. How you doing, Mr. man? Uh, athletic. Morning, how y'all John. doing today? <laughs> good. Uh, I wanted to ask y'all about the Aaron Rodgers situation. Since Mr. Sinigan is not there, uh, I didn't heard this uh, from the West Coast. Uh, they was talking about Aaron Rodgers hopefully being traded to the Raiders. Now, the one thing about it, uh, I know Mr. Sinigan is not going to speak on it because he don't want the bottom to foul out his team this season. But uh, what do y'all think about it? Do you, can y'all see Rodgers playing with the Raiders? And this is the funny part: Derek Carr coming back to the Packers. And I'll get off and let y'all speak on it. All right. Well, I'll, I'll go real quickly, and then I'll let you go, Double T. Uh, for me, like I'm, I'll, I'm still in the mode, and probably producer Brett will will appreciate this. Like 
I'll believe that Aaron Rodgers is playing for another team when I see it. I'm with you on that. Like, yeah. I'm with you on that. You know, it, it, it just, as much as he wants out, it seems like, as much as he wants to make it ugly, the, the Packers still have the leverage. And this is not the NBA where we see players kind of have the real, a lot more influence on what a front yeah, office does. Uh-huh. And so I think that he's going to come to camp. But, I, you know, there are there is this constant refrain of he's really not happy. He's really going to walk away if he if Aaron Rodgers is really willing to dig his heels in. I think then it's the Raiders or the Broncos. I think those are the two teams that that would be in the strongest in the mix to get him. I'm not trading Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers either will play for me or he'll he'll just he'll stay in Hawaii and <laughs> he'll play celebrity golf tournaments with. Uh, you know, some of the, yeah. uh, you know, with Phil Mickelson and some of his Go host Jeopardy, if you no, want. I yeah. mean, no. Yep. I'm, I mean, because I'm trying to figure out what is Aaron Rodgers unhappy with? Mm. I can tell you. Okay. Jordan Love? No, it's it's the fact that he doesn't have the say in the management room. He doesn't have any. They don't ask him for, for his insight or his opinion on roster moves. It's not that he wants out of Green Bay. It's that he wants to be... Treated, he wants the Tom treatment that that Tom can basically just do whatever he wants and pick. He'll go grab that guy and he'll bring him into Tampa, and uh, he doesn't have that even remotely close uh, as far as Swain Lockroom. So I think all the stuff of he wants out of Green Bay. I think it's simply he just wants in on the management side of things okay. as far as the Packers go. And we know that Schefter makes things up. He's admitted it. So. <laughs> He's admitted it. That he makes stuff up. Come on, well, there's and, a Packer and, fan and, for and, you. And the thing is that if if ownership is not willing to grant you that opportunity. Right. Okay. If if that's the only reason why you are unhappy with him, I still don't know why you're unhappy. Mm-hmm. Because they have put you in a situation, it seems like every season, for the Green Bay Packers to contend and make a run to the Super Bowl. Everything worked out perfectly for them this past season. You got the, the NFC Championship game in Lambeau Field. Tom Brady had thrown multiple interceptions in that football game. Mm-hmm. The Green Bay Packers marched down the field with a chance to win the game and go to the Super Bowl. And they had Aaron Rodgers. And they could not overcome the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. Mm-hmm. To me, if you're unhappy because you don't make personnel or have an input on personnel decisions, you're unhappy about the wrong things. You should be unhappy because you could not get your team over the hill. Mm-hmm. That's because, exactly right. Because, because the front office had nothing to do with you not being able to execute when you had a chance to put the Green Bay Packers in the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. So I'm still trying to figure out, really, what is wrong with Aaron Rodgers? If Aaron Rodgers does not want to play for me in the Green in a Green Bay Packers uniform, and I know that I'm not going to be able to trade Aaron Rodgers and get the, the same value exactly. in return, I already know that. Yep. Because every other team knows that as well. We're not going to break up our team to give you Aaron Rodgers because he would not have enough pieces on this team to put us in a situation to be successful. Correct. We're not going to do that. So if I'm the Green Bay Packers, Aaron, you're either going to play for us or you're not going to play football this year. Mm-hmm. We're just going to move on along with Jordan Love. Absolutely. We want you here. We believe we can win with you. We know that we are a championship contender team with you at the quarterback situation. 
But we didn't get it done last year. But we believe that we have enough tools in the toolbox to make this thing happen. Mm-hmm. Are you in or are you out? Mm-hmm. Let us know. Yep. No harm, no foul, man. And the, the NFL, I can guarantee you, um, you know, good accounts to the, the GM there is getting plenty of calls from other GMs saying, hey, don't open this Pandora's box. Because if Aaron Rodgers gets it, then Lamar Jackson is going to want to do it. Then Patrick Mahomes, all, all of these other guys, like it's going to open up another pathway that the NFL likes to have control of their players a lot more. Well, see, the New England Patriots told Tom Brady he was dying. Yes. That's a difference. Yeah, exactly. That was different. That's yes. Different. They were ready to move on. They told Correct. Tom Brady that we are moving on. The Green Bay Packers have not told Aaron Rodgers that we are willing to exactly. move on. Yes. Now, if that was He's the, the case, MVP. If that was the case. Okay. It was a whole other story, yep. a whole other conversation yes. we're having here. So Tom Brady goes to Tampa Bay. And how many times did Bruce Aaron, before Tom Brady got himself together, how many times did he throw Tom Brady on the bus? Mm-hmm. And then Bruce Aarons realized that, okay, I need to maybe listen to Tom Brady just a little bit more, yep. you know, so that we can kind of put things together. But Tom Brady was not having the best of games against the Green Bay Packers in the NFC Championship game. Mm-hmm. The door was wide open. Yes. But the Green Bay Packers. Do we have to? to <laughs> we have to go through the same thing. I get it. We get it. They lost. <laughs> so, but, I, but my point of view is that Aaron Rodgers, come on, man. Yeah. Come on. You got you got a bunch of guys in this locker room that believe in you. They believe that we can win with you. We need you on the boat with us, man. Mm-hmm. And right now you are selling by yourself somewhere else. It's darn shame. Darn shame to watch from over here. So uh, Secretary of Sports Insight, it's an honor and a privilege. What do you got for us? Well, hey, hey, that's great. Uh, hey, John, hey there. Uh, hey, Trent. Secretary, what's happening, man? Hey, well, you know, what's well, right, you know, uh, you know, John, you know, I, I want to go back to 1993. <laughs> well, you know, John, I, you know, I have to because this, this is this is this is proof that what you see now in a two to two stalemate right now. Well, this is the finals. That's what the finals is mm-hmm. because you know, Trent, that in 1993, your Chicago Bulls won the first two games. Against the Phoenix Suns in the America West Arena, no doubt about it. You went ahead. You went up two two games to zero. Two games to zero. And then the series began to turn. Yep. And and Trent, I have to admit, I mean, I, Trent, I rooted against you. I know you did. I was. <laughs> I was. But I rooted for you in 1984 when you when when you a tremendous seven game series the Knicks had against the Boston Celtics. Yep. I rooted for you and Pat Cummings and Rory Sparrow. Absolutely. But uh, but that's the way that that's the way the finals. Uh, that's the way it is. And in, in, in this, and it could culminate in six or seven games. And when it gets to that point, I, the coaches just have to throw everything in the playbook. It just, and it's coming to that. It, it, it really is. And that, that's the way the playoffs uh, is. There's no comfortable road, nice matinee to the, to the finals, nice, you know, beautiful, everything. That's not the way it goes. You can go back and look and check and check and look, and you will see. That it becomes a battle of attrition, mm-hmm. and that's what we're we're about to see now. And Trent, you made a great point about the play-in. That was a wonderful thing because the because the play-in represents an opportunity. It might be ninth or tenth place, but that still represents an opportunity because it's going to be so difficult 
to make the playoffs in the West, particularly in the West, and it's going to be difficult in the East as well. But in the West, I mean, it is, it is, it is. You got to start from the first uh, first night of the season. You have to be re- ready to go and focus because if you if you want to be in those top six, it's a bloodbath. I'm glad you pointed, Trent. I'm glad you pointed that out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, right? I mean, you know, game five tonight. Uh, who do you got? You know. I'm going with the Milwaukee Bucks. Okay. I I on the road. I'm going with the Milwaukee Bucks on the road. I I believe that the pressure of winning Game Five for the Phoenix Suns might get to them coming down the mm. stretch. See, the Bucks have a game to play with. Mm-hmm. This is, this is a free game for them. You know, their season will not end if they lose tonight. Right. But the season well could end for the Phoenix Suns if they lose tonight. The Suns better get more from Chris Paul. He's been, the last couple of games, a little sloppy with the turnovers, a little, you know, just struggling quite. I mean, he had a fantastic game one. Drew Holiday's made it difficult on him. So I think if the Suns are going to bounce back, I think they're going to get, they need to get a little more from Chris Paul. Maybe at home he'll be okay. I think they're going to win tonight and then set up a seven-game series. I think this is going the distance. It it should be fun. I mean, you know, I uh, this matchup has been intriguing for sure. But I think tonight Giannis will be the best player on the floor. I think he's mm-hmm. going to get off to a good start. You know, he kind of seems to hyperventilate when he the does. game starts. You know, he's so hyped up and he has to take himself out of the game. But he has been the most consistent player, you know, for the Milwaukee Bucks. And if this if this game becomes up and down the floor, game wide open where he's allowed to, to get downhill, like you mentioned before, you know, he could have a 40-plus night. You going to go see uh, Space Jam, Trent, or... Uh... I, I doubt it. I got to take the kids. My kids want to go, so I'm going to have to end up going. But See, Space Jam is about basketball. If it's about hockey, oh, I, okay. I, I, I would have to go. There you go. Fair enough. Double T, it's been awesome. Uh, thanks for sitting in with me here at the 651 Carpet Studio. Uh, for everyone who tuned in to listen, thanks very much. I'm John Krasinski with The Athletic. Dave Sinekin, I assume, will be back next week. Enjoy Game 5 tonight, and we'll talk to you next time. Hey